We are going to give our attention to the reading of God's Word uh, together this morning. Our reading this morning is from Luke chapter 14. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out. And they could not reply to these things. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed that they chose the places of honor saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He said also to the man who had invited him. When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you uh, that you promised to meet with us. Whenever two or three are gathered in your name, uh, you are here with us, uh, that you send your spirit to work uh, in us. And uh, Lord, we pray that you would do that now. Uh, We plead your promise uh, to us, Lord, that we might encounter uh, who you are, in your glory and your goodness and your truth and your justice and your mercy and your grace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, many years ago, uh, the Boston Globe ran an article about a bride and groom who were preparing for their wedding day. And uh, they had uh, secured the Hyatt Regency in downtown Boston as the place for their wedding reception. They picked the menu, they picked the china and the silver, the flower arrangements, they had a DJ, and they had dropped something like $13,000 as a down payment. And this was like in 1990, so I don't know what that would be today. But as the day approached, one little problem arose. Uh, 
And that was that the groom flaked. He had cold feet. And not only did he not go through with the wedding, he disappeared. And no one could find him. And so here is this formerly bride-to-be left with 13000 a down payment on a wedding reception that wasn't going to have a wedding. So she went to the events manager and uh, tried to talk through things. And the events manager said, I'm sorry, the contract is binding. You're only entitled to $1,300 back. So you really have two options. You can just forfeit the rest of the down payment and call it even. A really nice guy, sounds like. Or you can go ahead with the banquet. These were her two options. And what she decided was to go ahead and have a big blowout. But instead of wedding guests, she invited the homeless and the helpless of Boston. She went to homeless shelters. She went to rescue missions. She talked to bag ladies. She talked to drug addicts. She talked to beggars who were used to eating from trash bins. And she invited them to this big blowout party. And that night, the left out, the misfits, the overlooked, the people without a home, the people with drug addictions, spent the whole evening dancing and laughing and eating chicken cordon bleu. Now look, I think every one of us loves stories like that, but very few of us would ever consider doing something like that. I mean, it's too extreme, it's too wild, it's too crazy. And the, and the craziest thing is this, Jesus tells a story very much like that in our text this morning. And if we're going to feel the punch of it, we have to understand something critical. That Jesus is telling this story about the kingdom of God. Now look, um, last week I talked about how chapter 13 of Luke and chapter 14 of Luke are structured very similarly. In chapter 13 it begins with a healing on the Sabbath. And then you get Jesus' discourse on the kingdom. And then you get a challenge on the heels of that. Chapter 14 is just the same. That there is a healing on the Sabbath. And then there's a discourse about the kingdom. And then we're going to save for next week the challenge that Jesus tacks on to the end of this. But all of this is about the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God was Jesus' favorite subject. But if we're going to understand what this parable means, this parable of the banquet, we got to understand a little bit about this setting. So here's the setting. The scene is that Jesus is invited to a party at the home of a Pharisee. And it says he's an arch Pharisee. He's one of the big wigs. And dining in the ancient world was, was a big deal. Meals served a social function. Uh, they, they do so today, but even more so in the ancient Mediterranean world. They established in-groups. Who you dined with said something about your importance. And where you sat defined your place in the pecking order of important people at an important party. So it was a way of advertising yourself and advancing yourself uh, to be at these kind of meals and parties. Dining was also a big deal to Jesus. I don't know if you've gathered this as we've moved through this series, but Jesus is always having meals with people. Luke records 32 occasions. 32 occasions in the Gospel of Luke alone. And what we've seen is is that Jesus is often dining with the so-called wrong people. The tax collectors and the sinners. Well, here in our passage this morning, he's with the so-called right people. But they've set him up because they've planted a man with dropsy 
in their midst who would not be invited to a party like this. And it says that everyone was watching him closely. Dropsy is a very painful condition. Fluid builds up in your body. Um, it, you know, for many people, it's like, I, oh, I don't want to be around that. But what Jesus does is heals the man before everyone. And he actually topples their legalistic practices of the Sabbath. Because they're like, what's he going to do here? And Jesus says, I'm going to heal him. What better day to do it on than on the Sabbath? But he goes on to press against some of their other practices. In verses 7 through 11, he gets after the guests. He's like, I'm on to you. I know what you do at places like this. You're elbowing your way to the front. You're trying to get the places of importance. And then in verses 12 through 14, he actually addresses his hosts. He says, I'm on to you as well. You invite only the best to your party. And you know what both of these things are? They're characteristic of the kingdom's of this world. That we're always on the move for advancing ourselves and we're always leveraging for return, for what can get us ahead and better. Now, this, it's understandable that this is the last time Jesus is recorded eating with a Pharisee. All right, this is, this is the end of that in the Gospel of Luke. There must have been tons of tension at this party after Jesus' speak. You can only imagine. And uh, at that tense moment, no one can think of anything to say. And so somebody says, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Sounds like a safe thing to say. And that's when Jesus launches in to his parable of the banquet. The kingdom of God. This is what Jesus has been teaching and preaching about the whole time. And this is like a cue for his encore presentation. And he tops off the evening by confusing everyone with this parable of the great banquet. Now, if you're new to the Christian faith, the parables that Jesus is tell, tells, they're like box Goldberg variations. 30 variations on one musical theme. And Jesus is always talking about the theme of the kingdom of God. And he talks about it from different angles and he gives us different pictures. He says the parable is like a net cast into the sea. The parable is like the pearl of great price. The, par- the, the, king- um, so the kingdom is like a treasure hidden in the field. Right on and on and on we can go. And what he's trying to do is give us multiple angles into this huge thing called the kingdom to reveal its largeness and its relevance to our lives. And here's a really important point. Parables aren't moral fables. Right? The, punch, the punchline isn't, here's a good piece of advice for you. Parables are like surgical instruments that open us up and expose us, revealing the disease inside so that they can bring healing to our hearts. Think about last week. Jesus said, what is the kingdom of God like? It's like a mustard seed. It's like leaven. And what was he doing? He was opening us up and exposing our obsession with big, fast, and obvious, and then bringing healing through the proclamation of the kingdom. Well, this morning, the question is, what will it be like when the kingdom of God fully comes? And you know what Jesus' answer is? It's going to be like a wild party. And so I just want to make two points this morning. And uh, they're really just one sentence, easy to remember. But the the, the, the point of this story is this. The kingdom of God is a party with a very surprising guest list. And so I want to break those in two and look at each in turn. So first, the kingdom of God is a party. 
So the story Jesus tells is about a man throwing a great banquet, right? It's this huge gig, and Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God. Now, this isn't the first time that the kingdom has been described as a party. In the Old Testament, the kingdom was described as a party. In fact, it was described as the party to end all parties. We looked at this a little earlier in our worship service, but in Isaiah chapter 25, the prophet Isaiah said, On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged, refined wine. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. Now, that's a party. You know, when my mom was dying in 2010 of cancer, I was by her bedside for the last two weeks of her life. And I would read scripture to her. And one afternoon, I read this passage to her and I said, Mom, how does this sound? And she closed her eyes and tears began to roll down her cheek. And she said, that sounds wonderful. That is the image that Jesus gives us of what his kingdom will be like when it fully comes is a banquet, a feast, a wild party, right? There's other images for the kingdom, but this one tells us that when the kingdom fully comes, it will be joy like you have never known. It's a wild celebration. It's the greatest party you could ever imagine. There's feasting, there's dancing, there's laughing, there's celebrating. All hunger, all suffering, all joylessness, gone forever. And here's the best thing about this party. It's free for those who come. It's not a ball that you pay your way to get in. It's not a potluck where you bring your own dish and your contribution. The host in the parable is the one who prepares everything. He gets everything ready. He incurs all the costs. He provides everything for everyone in attendance. And I want us to pause for a second and say, is this your view of Christianity? Is this how you think of God? Or do you think Christianity is about being serious all the time and not smiling too much? Look, for some of you, this has been a real turnoff to Christianity. In conversations that we've had, you're like, it just seems like people are uptight. People are nervous. People are scared. Right? And it's kept you away. And I want to say, yes, there is a moral seriousness to Christianity. But there's not just a moral seriousness. There is a joy unspeakable that we anticipate entering into. And that we taste, foretaste right now. You know, in a, in a couple of weeks, we're going to get into the, the parable of the prodigal son, the two lost sons. You know, what's at the heart of that parable? You know what's at the heart of the parable? The father throwing a party. For his son who returns. And he's even inviting the older brother who refuses to come in. He goes out to him and he says, would you please come into the party? Would you drop all the reasons that you have for being upset and angry? I want you in the party. You know, for others of you, you say you believe this. But you live in such a way that it feels like the kingdom is going to be a funeral service. You clasp your hands, bow your head. You're afraid of taking any joy in this. And what we do is we, take, we, we turn the pursuit of holiness into a joyless and thankless endeavor. And Jesus says, that's not the image I want you to have in your head. The kingdom of God is a party. 
And Jesus says, I come to bring the party. Now, here's the second thing. And this is where we get into some of the details of the parable is this party has a very surprising guest list. Okay. Now we need to be careful with parables because you can't press every detail. They're not allegories like that. Everything represents something else independently. And the point of the parable is not saying that, Hey, in God's kingdom, first he invites the winners. And when they snub him, he gets really angry and he goes after the losers. Okay. That's not the point of the parable. And and you'll see why. The parable is not so much about who is invited, but about who shows up. Everyone is invited, but not everyone will come. And here's the punch. On the one hand, none of the people who had a so-called right to be at the party, socially speaking, came. But on the other hand, none of the people who came had a so-called right to be at the party. Let me say that again. None of the people who had a so-called right to be at the party, socially speaking, came. But none of the people who came had a so-called right to be at the party. The respected and the respectable refuse the invitation, ultimately, while the disadvantaged and disabled receive it. What is Jesus doing here? See, this is a shocking reversal of expectations. Most every Jewish person in the first century world would think it's the upright, it's the well thought of, it's the morally respectable who dine at God's great dinner party. It's their reward. But here is the disregarded, the overlooked, and the forgotten who are filling up the house. And more shocking still are the reasons given by those who refuse the invitation. So in the ancient world, very similar to ours, there are often two invitations, two stages to inviting people to a great party. There was the initial save the date, right? We still do that. And then there was the final call. Everything is ready, come. So this first group, they RSVP'd that they're coming. But when the time came, they were preoccupied with other things. Look at verses 17 through 18. Jesus in this parable says that the host of the banquet says, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. And here are some of the excuses. Verse 18. I have bought a field and I must go and see it. Now, that's a very strange thing to say. It's like what it's like buying a house house over the phone. All right. Yeah, I need to go check out what I just spent a whole lot of money on. And then in verse 19, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go got to go examine them. That's like saying I need to go wax my new Lamborghini. All right. And then verse 20, strangest of all, I have married a wife, so I can't come. I mean, what? Is he grounded or something? Like, what's, what's going on here, right? And it's meant to be ridiculous. All of these excuses are extraordinarily lame. It's like, I have to mow the lawn. I need to feed my cat. I'm going to be washing my hair tonight, right? These are ridiculous and insulting, and they re- reveal a disdain for the host by their startling, startling misevaluation of priorities. This parable is about Jesus's ministry and the proclamation of the kingdom of God that he says has come in him. Jesus has been going around Galilee, preaching the good news of the kingdom, summoning people to join God's great dinner party. And many, many had said, we are waiting for the kingdom of God. That's what we want more than anything else. But when it arrived in Jesus, they had more pressing things to attend to. And those things are silly and ridiculous in comparison. Or they discovered, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. This doesn't reinforce my religious moral superiority. Those at the bottom of the pile, at the end of the line, get Jesus. But those at the top and in the front, don't. 
The biggest difference between those who came and those who refused to come is found in their attitude towards being invited. All right, think this out. Those who refused had an attitude like this. Of course I'm invited. Why wouldn't I be? I'm one of the important people. There's no excitement. There's no amazement. So it's no wonder that they found that they had more important things to do when the time came. They couldn't let a party upset their plans. But those who came had a very different attitude. What, you mean I'm invited? This can't be true. For real? And Jesus describes them as the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Who invites them to a party? It's so unusual that the host has to send his servants out not only into the lanes of the town, right? But out into the countryside and compel them to come in. Plead with them to come. They can hardly believe that they are welcomed here. Friends, this is a, this is a parable that is aimed at you and me. That God is throwing a great party and wants to press upon you. Are you going to come or are you too self-important and preoccupied? Look, I'm convinced that the hardest thing for Silicon Valley people to believe is not the resurrection of Jesus and it's not his miracles. It's rather that we are the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame because we're too good for that. Jesus is critical of so much of what drives us. Being first, being best, being big, being important, being significant. And yeah, there is a place for excellence and for hard work and for doing your best. But the problem is we think that's what matters most. We think that's what makes us worthy. We think this is how to bring the party. But it's actually our self-importance and our preoccupations that keep us from the joy that Jesus offers us. You see, you'll never really receive the invitation And nor will I until we see we don't deserve it. Don't lump me in with the cripples and the outcasts, we say. But that's the only way you'll come to recognize how magnificent it is that the God of heaven and earth would throw a party for us when we don't deserve it. The problem, as Tim Keller puts it, is the closer you get by education and vocation to the nexus of social power in society the more likely you are to have prejudice against the gospel. The educated, the powerful, the influential, the us, right? Find every other religion respectable because you know what it all boils down to? Be a good person, live a good life. And we say, that's great. And pick the one that works for you best. But the gospel says nonsense. It is your imagined goodness as much as your sins that keep you from the party. See, this is why Jesus was constantly telling the movers and the shakers The whores are entering the kingdom of God before you. Until you see that all you have is need, you won't be ready to receive the kingdom. You have received an invitation from the king of the universe to dine at his table in the greatest party ever imaginable. How do you feel about that? Are you disinterested? Feel entitled? Do you feel ambivalent? Or do you feel overwhelmingly grateful? It really comes down to how you see yourself. You see, the greatest danger we have keeping us from the party is the fact that like, yeah, of course I would be there. (laughs) Don't I, don't I belong there? And Jesus says, you got to see yourself as the poor and the lame and the crippled and the blind, or you won't get the thrill of being invited to God's banquet. We're always 
pursuing other things that we think can bring the party. And it's essentially trying to build our own little kingdoms. We're addicted to advancing ourselves, to create a nice, comfortable, insulated life, to make things go well for us. And then we want to use God to get those other things. When we look at what we pray for, we discover what we truly long for. Better job, a better home, a better spouse, a better upper middle class life. But many of the things we hope and long for, they're not wrong in and of themselves. But the value we've placed on them is distorted, twisted, and inflated. And it keeps us from the joy of the party. You know, others of us, we still struggle with it, but I don't think I'm worthy. And this is the thing. It's a party for those with nothing to bring. You come to receive. The host does everything. He incurs all the cost. He prepares everything for everyone who's come. Christianity is not a respectable religion. It's way too wild to be like that. God invites and receives the disreputable who have nothing to offer, nothing to bring, morally, socially, financially, who are willing to say, I cannot believe I am invited here. And I want to come and receive. Friends, we should ask ourselves, is that how our church looks? Are we the people who are polished and well together? See, sin is real and it is ugly, but our imagined goodness is just as deadly. A joyful party awaits the people of God who are willing to come and say, I got nothing, but you, Lord, have provided everything. And that's what I need more than anything else. Now, the question is, how can God throw a party for sinners like you and me? And this is the beautiful thing that is at the heart of the gospel is that Jesus actually dies to bring the party. He's on his way to Jerusalem when he tells this story. And he's going to be getting clearer and clearer with his disciples in the crowds that he knows he's going to die. Because he knows what it's going to take to throw a party like this. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that it was for the joy set before him that Jesus endured the agonies of the cross and scorned its shame. You know what that means? Jesus was looking forward to this when he hung on that cross for you and me. That his death for the forgiveness of our sins is what makes this party possible. If you go to the back of your Bible, you're going to find something beautiful in Revelation 19. There's this fantastic celebration taking place. There's singing, there's rejoicing. And you know what it's called? It's called the marriage supper of the lamb, the lamb who was slain. And hear these words. Hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns, kingdom of God. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. And this is the beautiful additional line. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. He provides everything, even the clothes you're going to wear to this party. All the transformation that you and I experience as we give ourselves over to Jesus, it's a gift of grace. He gives us bright and fine linen, pure to wear. This is what you're invited into. Don't be too preoccupied or self-important to miss the central celebration of all history. Maybe later, I'll deal with this, won't suffice. Drop everything and come is the only sensible response. And the beautiful thing is this. 
The pre-party starts now. Jesus shared table fellowship with tax collectors and sinners because he wanted to demonstrate that the presence of the kingdom and the offer of forgiveness and renewal is available now through him. You can have a taste of the joy. You can have a taste of the thrill. You have the taste of the unimaginable delight of being welcomed and received by God right now through Jesus Christ. And that's what we do every Sunday when we come to this table is we remember he died to bring the party. (laughs) It's not anything I do. I don't pay to get in. I don't, it's not a potluck where I make my contribution. The host has incurred all the costs and he's provided everything. And when the end time banquet arrives, you are ready to receive it in full and enter into eternal joy. There's no hunger or loneliness or sorrow or sadness or sin or shame forever. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. Um, We thank you that you're on to us. You know our ways. You know how we're busy trying to build kingdoms of our own making, elbowing our way to the front, advancing ourselves, uh, leveraging, Father, for uh, getting ahead. And uh, the joy never arrives, Lord, because that's not how the party is brought. Party is brought from your hand and at your cost to the death of your son. So, Lord, may we receive that today. May we taste its joy. May we come and find forgiveness and renewal at your table. And may we experience the wonder and the thrill and the amazement that we are included, broken and crippled and impoverished as we are spiritually. Uh, You call us to come. And Lord, we know that one day there will be a day when there is only feasting and laughing and dancing and celebrating all that you have done. But we pray, Father, that that day would reach back into today. And we would find in the midst of our sorrows and our waiting and uh, our sadness, Lord, that a joy bubbles up that makes us thankful and grateful. And we experience a taste of that heavenly banquet that you've prepared for your people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.